Welcome to this edition of Talking HR with Lori and Lisa, where as always, our goal is to give you a real look at today's HR world and sharing of experiences, knowledge, and inspiring people practices. I'm your host, Lori Rilkoff. And I'm your host, Lisa Fuller. We would like to acknowledge and respect the lands that we are recording our podcast on today, which is the Tecumloops to Sequemic lands. And we're really pleased to welcome Yabom Gilpin Jackson here, who's the Chief People Officer of BC Lottery Corporation. Yabom is a multi-award winning scholar practitioner in human and organizational development with research awards and professional recognitions, not only in Canada, but across the United States and the United Kingdom, including the prestigious Harry Jerome Award given in recognition of Black Canadian achievements and contributions. Yabom, as mentioned, is the Chief People Officer at BC Lottery Corporation, and prior to this, she's had extensive backgrounds in organizational development and social change, speaking, teaching, and leading large-scale transformation in Canada's healthcare system and consulting to private sector and nonprofit organizations. We're really happy to have you and welcome you to our session tonight, Yabom. Thank you for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. We're really looking forward to our conversation with you today, Yabom, to learn more about the work organizations, leaders, and individuals, not only what they can do in our workplaces, but in our day-to-day living to make a positive contribution to ourselves, our communities and the world in which we live. And, you know, we've been living in this worldwide crisis lately uh, related to COVID-19 for the past year and a half, I think, and it's had major impacts on businesses, economies, and society as a whole. And it's really highlighted the fact, I think, for us that we're all interconnected and events in one part of the world can impact us all. So our topic today is really timely. Um, before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit more about the focus your career has had in the organizational development practice? Absolutely. My pleasure. So I have what I like to say grown up in the organization development field. I started out very much in business with a degrees, a bachelor and a master's in business administration. And in that journey, took an organization development course uh, somewhere I want to say in third year undergrad and really found my my passion and my purpose literally in the first class I was listening to just the overview and introduction and had this moment of that's it that's what I want to be and do when I grow up and so I stepped out of my MBA and started right out as an organization development analyst in a strategic HR and organization development firm and went from there to full consultant uh, very quickly and have moved through working with public, private, and uh, nonprofit, as we call them then, but more and more social benefits now aligned with this conversation, um, organizations, and then moved from there to uh, work with what you would consider uh, executive education at Simon Fraser University for a short stint. And then from there moved into healthcare and internal lead roles, leading and building organization development practices, working in alignment across the spectrum of strategic human resources. And yeah, it's been a great career so far. And I love, I love it all. 
And I like to say that my sweet spot in, in this field is to do organization development at the intersection of social change. And so I have consistently looked for roles that provide me that opportunity to be contributing to human service delivery or the public good while doing organization development. And I'm using that broadly. I'm using that as the field inclusive of human resources. Um, when, I, when I say organization development, not as the singular specialty. So just to underscore that as well. So how, how do you see that transition from you know, your early start with organizational development, did you notice a shift from sort of the, that micro focus on the organization to a broader social purpose of organizations? Well, for me, OD has always been, I've always held it to its classical um, grounding and definitions, which is being grounded in the applied behavioral, social and organization sciences. I think it derives its name, uh, organization can sometimes be deceptive, but in its true form, organization development is meant for any, or an, any organization, whether that is formal, informal, community-oriented, or basically any place and space where humans gather to organize. It's really grounded in a group behavior, social behavior. And so for me, it's never been singular. And that has always been my attraction. I've always said that for me, my attraction to this field was on the development and it's on the human potential when you bring a group of people together. What happens and what are the conditions that you need to put in place to make sure that that group of people can not only uh, work together to their common purpose and they can, they can not only do that from the mindset that's so easy for us to fall into when things are getting busy and uh, we're in this crisis mode and in this wall, for example, of the last 18 months that we've been in. I mean, I was talking to a colleague in, H, um, in healthcare over the weekend, and she, she's also moved on. We were, were colleagues leading together uh, as executive directors in, in healthcare, and she's moved on as well. And she said to me, you know, Yabum, I used to think it was just that when we were in healthcare, everybody called a crisis all the time. And, you know, this constant busyness, reactivity and swall was just a healthcare thing, but it's actually not. I'm finding it now out, out here in the private sector. Uh, I'm finding it elsewhere in the public sector. Uh, and we had this great conversation about the cultural phenomena that business has become, that's the waters we're swimming in. And for me, my attraction to organization development always, has always been the possibility to call people to higher ground, the possibility to call people to purpose, to ask people to just stop and examine why they're doing what they're doing and, and therefore be better together. Because we know from the human sciences that um, individual behavior is different than group behavior. And we, we all know this on our own versus in our families versus when we're in a work group, somehow our behaviors get slightly moderated because the group is its own entity. And so, yeah, so for me, this field, this phenomena has always been more than singular. It's been about group behavior when you put a group of humans together that are organized in any way, shape and form towards a common purpose. How do you make that group thrive?
beyond just falling into the waters that they're swimming in in their context. I love that conversation and that discussion about, you know, a cultural phenomenon of busyness. And I think, you know, I think it's been amplified over the past 18 to 24 months. And I'm curious from your perspective as a leader of a large organization, how how do organizations and leaders how can they utilize their roles in leading positive changes in areas of humanity, in areas of social issues, in really altering um, and transforming that cultural experience? That's such a great question. And uh, as always, there's no singular answer, but what what I can offer from my own experience in leadership, as well as supporting leaders to think in transformational ways It's one of those big questions that has what could almost be, as a starting point, at least simplistic answers. And one of those is really, I cannot emphasize enough in these times or in any times when you're leading through complexity is a couple of things. One is bringing presence. That reminder that uh, for better or worse, leaders are on a pedestal. Uh, Leaders are role models. They are uh, sort of the, the anchors that people look to. And so for me, the the first thing that jumped to mind when you said that, how can you use and leverage your leadership to, to lead in transformational ways is, is to start with how you show up and to start with the presence that you bring. And this might seem simplistic, but it's not. It's everything from how you respond to the next crisis news. It's everything from how how you um, listen to the leaders around you that perhaps are being taken up by the swall and how you bring a grounded presence to in responding to what's coming your way because it's in doing that, that you help others ground as a leader. Uh, And, you know, we know this from, even from the neuroscience of leadership in in these times, that calm leadership, that leadership presence is so much writing on this uh, that uh, should have, could have prepared us for these times, uh, for sure in, in, in the leadership literature and space, but, um, you know, I'm thinking aloud here as 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 I'm I'm at responding to this. You know, if you know theory, you and uh, Otto Shaman's work about it's all about bringing presence, that letting go of the swall and the way things have been, so that you can let come a new way of being. So that would be my first one: is bringing presence. The second one is embracing the emergence in these times. It's the recognition that we are in different times. We're leading in complexity. We're leading through a global pandemic. We're leading in crisis times. And so not only must we be grounded and bring as much presence as we can to help ground those around us, we also need to understand that we cannot only rely on best practice or what has been or the way we the ways we've done things in the past we have to really be willing to 
um, gather the best information, trust the experts around us, gather, there's, there's wisdom in the crowd, right? So gather the best of the information around us and, and really be willing to make informed decisions that we are aware um, there's a lot of experimentation in. We're in times where what we need is to, to take evidence to inform novel practice. A lot of the decisions we have to make today have never been made before, but we can trust the wisdom in the crowd. We can bring that groundedness and we can make the best decision we can make. We can track it, we can monitor it. We can iterate as quickly as we can to what's working well that we can grow and to perhaps what we might have to have the courage, um, uh, Lisa as a colleague in, um, at BCLC, you know, one of our values is the courage to be wrong. And so leadership in these times means the courage to say, hey, we, we thought this was the right way to go. Perhaps it isn't, but be willing to be that leader that allows for um, failure to be something we can learn from and to quickly iterate and move forward. Yeah, so those, those things jump to mind, leading from a place of emergence and bringing as much presence as possible. I'll say one more thing, which is awareness of the power in, in the leadership role in these times. I, I don't know uh, unless any of us have been under a rock, but if we look just even beyond our local contexts, whatever it is that we're contending with and dealing with, if we look um, to beyond even the last 18 months uh, to two years of um, living in and through the COVID-19 pandemic, if we look to the global politics of the last four, eight, 10 years, I think it is so clear how much power and leadership power influences whole societies, influences policies that um, make a difference for generations. And it is so clear that power has to be held responsibly for not only the social good, but for the good of the planet. And if we're not aware of that, right now, I don't know what else will help us be aware of that, but it's certainly something that's very present with me, is this question of how we use power and privilege as leaders in this time for the greater good, for an equity-centered future, and for the good of our planet. So I'll just pause there now. So Yvonne, when you speak about, you know, organizations having this broader social purpose and um, in terms of uh, it's been said it, it is now to uh, also a major competitive advantage. Do you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. I agree uh, and uh, have more to say about the topic in terms of, for me, it's more than a competitive advantage. So you're right on. I think if you look at any of the big reports that have come out from nearly all of the consultancy houses, that do and offer us human capital research. I can name any of them. You can Google any of them right now. And there's a report that's pointing to purpose being uh, the new, uh, almost in the way I would say that engagement was uh, and, uh, a back to the future fad for a while. 
in terms of purpose being the way of organizations for the future, being a competitive advantage, being what the workforce is looking for, uh, is absolutely, absolutely true. The data bears that out. And it has always been true that, again, from the lens of the applied social sciences, the human sciences, the organizational sciences, we've known for a very, very long time that meaning and autonomy and purpose, that these things are core to what uh, motivates humanities, humanity and what motivates people to give of their discretionary effort beyond what you could ever compensate. We, you know, if uh, any of the listeners has followed Dan Pink's work over the years or any of the work around purpose-driven organizations, I think of uh, Robert Quinn's writing and books over the years, uh, again, from an organization development lens, I think about the appreciative inquiry work and movement that David Cooper Ryder started and the fact that uh, the Global Forum for Business is an agent of world benefit is there's a fifth conference. I think the fifth conference is this year and David Cooper Ryder and his organizations and groups have been talking about uh, business taking on social purpose and uh, as an agent of world benefit and planetary good even before the those conferences started to the extent that that work was pulled into some United Nations deliberations and discussions we know that the World Economic Forum has been talking about this for a while I think this is one of those things where the COVID-19 pandemic created a tipping point of awareness on the importance and just how critical purpose is to the future of business organizations and the workforce is louder now perhaps than ever before in the choices we are making as we look at 40% of people electing out of the formal workforce or looking at creative ways to ensure that they're working and living on purpose. I think this is the tipping point, but it's always been the reality that purpose is a, is a core, core fundamental for, uh, for organizations and for humanity in, in how we want to engage in work. I think you raised a really important point right now. And as you said, you know, people are really revisiting what their professions look like, their personal lives look like after the pandemic and the realigning. Um, I think with that understanding, organizations are expecting quite high turnover between people retiring or, or just looking for that value realignment. The pandemic has really impacted people in more ways than we've probably anticipated or expected. As people are transitioning, um, what can businesses do or, you know, even the HR practitioners or some of our listeners, what can they start doing to really start that journey and maybe look at their companies a little bit differently to become more social purpose focused? Thank you. I think the sky's the beyond the limit with this one. I think there are so many um, possibilities. And where I'll go to first is that businesses need to look at their context. 
and start from your context. I think every industry, every organization has an opportunity to make choices that will have positive present and downstream impacts for the people in their organizations, the communities they find themselves in, and the, and people and planets longer term. And so what I think what all of us can do is start by looking at our context and looking at what are the opportunities we have if we're asking ourselves the questions, uh, fundamental questions of what can we do within the context of our business to promote social good and to provide a benefit to, to society and to the planet. I think just starting with that fundamental question, what is the thing that we can do within our business and our organization that will provide social benefit and, and social purpose longer time, longer term? I think the idea of identifying a social purpose is important because for your business in your context, because it provides focus. Part of the challenge in this conversation is it is so wide open that it's easy for people to be overwhelmed. But again, if I know anything from my years of supporting leaders uh, with transformation programs, it's getting really clear on your purpose and on and focusing on that. Even with the clarity of purpose, there's so many possibilities of how to go about achieving what it is you've set out to achieve that the number one thing is figuring out what it is that you can do in your context. And then going from there, starting with something and, and growing out from there. As, as you start, it's also the reminder and the realization that there's you as an organization, but it's sort of like no man is an island, no organization is an island. So there is all the tentacles and all the ways that you connect even to other organizations, let alone to society at large. And so the realization that as you start small, the opportunities will start to present themselves to scale, to connect with other organizations, just even in the course of your doing business, let alone beyond that in your network. And the opportunities will come. But 101, start with finding your clarity, finding your, I talk about what quilting a global future. It's many shades, it's many colors, there's many different designs on each of our squares, find your square and then start there and then find the squares that connect with yours. And this thing will keep growing and will keep creating something beautiful into the future. So Yabom, in, in your experience, what sort of challenges have you come across as you've, um, in the organizations you've worked with or in your own personal life in terms of going towards this goal? there any specific challenges you've come across? Absolutely. Uh, a myriad of challenges. This, this conversation is not for the faint of heart and it is not a quick fix. And so the number one thing I would say is short-term thinking versus long-term thinking. It is the realization that this, uh, I know it's overused, but it is a marathon. It is not a sprint. It is about persevering through the messy, the murky, and the muddy. This is, it is not, it is not uh, something that we can just create a program around and, you know, as, as is often used in the world of change, roll out a plan and 
there we have it, we have a program and we're complete. That's not how this works. I still, so I think that the biggest challenge I run across is trying to do something for show, um, to be reactive to the fact that, you know, everybody's now writing and saying that purpose is necessary and for, for even survival as a competitive advantage for the future and therefore putting something on for show quickly and, and thinking it will get you there. I think the biggest challenge of that is you run into immediately many other challenges. You run into employees being skeptical as soon as they realize that there's the orientation in short-term thinking to something that, that is much longer term. You run into the challenges of your systems and structures and policies that are not designed for the long-term purpose or for the big audacious thing that you've now put out. And you run into all these questions then about, well, if we've signed up to do this big thing, why are our systems still not allowing us to do that? And then you quickly run into having to make these fundamental deep changes that, that then means that people have to slow down. So I think the biggest challenge I would say is stepping into this conversation, eyes wide open, committing fully, but being clear that this is a stepwise long-term journey that starts with a single intentional steps and communicating early and often, but also being clear that it's a journey and taking it bite-sized so that you're also layering each piece that you need to build the next piece. When you're being intentional, um, it also means thinking very carefully about what's the first thing we're doing so that we can take the right next action and the next wise action and the next right thing um, so that your systems and policies and processes are, are reimagined, recreated, dismantled, whatever is needed in, in a way that makes sense to build into the future that you're creating. Thank you. That was very enlightening. That is, it's just so interesting because I think we could probably talk for, for hours on the topic because it leads down so many paths. And I just love how you talked about, you know, really the authenticity that's required to go down this journey. We, it can't just be uh, pretend or just to put uh, it on for your show. So that means a lot. And I would be remiss because I just want to not miss the opportunity to talk a little bit about our, our first uh, National Day for Truth and Reconciliation on September 30th. And I just think that's such a an opportunity to showcase what individuals and what groups can do to influence social social change. Do you have any thoughts on that as well, Yubom? Absolutely. I think that's a topic that's near and dear to my heart in terms of, you know, in all of my career and increasingly working at the, as I, as I said earlier, that sweet spot of organization development at the intersection of social change, and therefore supporting these conversations around what we're doing to create equity-centered futures. And, and so it is definitely a step forward that uh, Canada has accepted, in fact, what was one of the 
calls to action uh, from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that we will create uh, a day like the one that we have now created to honor uh, residential school survivors and to recognize the survivors past and present and the sort of commemorate the, the lives, the children's lives that we lost and the, the legacy that we're sitting with. So it's a step forward that the day in itself is a response to call to action number 18, the Truth and Reconciliation Report to be specific. And it's only one step of many and many, if you take all the calls to action in the Truth and Reconciliation Report in themselves or on their own, they, they need to work together with the entire system of, of actions that have to be taken to make a difference. And so I think what you alluded to is there's the possibility at the individual level, there's the possibility at the group and organization and societal level, absolutely to, to do something. And, and I think for me, this runs the, the spectrum from individuals taking accountability to educate themselves and their households and not only educate themselves, but also be and act and interact with the world around them differently as a result. And then it's the concrete actions. It's the where we put our money to support work towards truth and reconciliation. It is how we choose to honor this day in the future. So we've had this day now. Uh, I know there's some conversation of what, about what the day will look like into the future. And, you know, however, however the day continues to be commemorated, I, I think that's, that's one thing. But beyond that, I think the onus is on individuals and organizations to, to take this on, to create a clear a strategic intention. And just as I said earlier around taking a long view is to, to examine examine their internal systems and structures to, to really look at what lends itself to this reconciliation work broadly and relationship building work into the future and to, and to put what is needed in place um, organizationally um, as well. And I mean, organizationally broadly, wherever people find themselves in whatever institutions that they work. And so it's really pausing to say we had that, this one event but this is beyond an event. What does it mean for us individually? What does it mean for us as an organization, an entity? And what does it mean multiple years into the future? Thank you. What a great conversation and very inspiring. For, for me, I just, you know, reflect on, on this dialogue and, you know, remind myself, how do I show up every day? And it does start with me as an individual, me as a leader, and, and how I, how I can make a difference to, to those and influence not only, you know, my personal purpose, but, but um, also work towards a more thoughtful social purpose as well and helping the community in which I live and the world in which we reside. I love that just grounded presence that's really stuck with me. 
Well, and Lisa, if I can add to that, just as you you've reminded me as you as you summarized there some of some of um, the conversations so far, just to loop this full circle back to the lens of organization development, there is a, a term that we all learn if you have a, a degree in organization development is this concept of the use of self as an instrument of change. And from my, my broader uh, worldview and uh, global background, uh, I, I want to acknowledge that, that term has a, a bit of growing, um, uh, not so much critique, but growing nudges to expand it, especially in this thinking around uh, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion to, to not just glorify the self in it. Um, so I'll just say that out front. But the, the idea of use of self fundamentally is, is the concept that how we show up in itself is enough to create change by the reflection that that provides to others. So if I am showing up as the person trying to support a team to think about how to lead a transformation program, and I've just said, uh, you know, in the, in the world we're living in right now, there's so much chaos and confusion and busyness and complexity. And then I am showing up with a lot of anxiety and nervous energy, even as I'm trying to help this group think through what a roadmap might look like. If I am showing up and just you know, throwing everything and anything at them and saying, oh, these are all the things you need to think about and we can't forget about this and can't forget about that. What's happening in that space almost immediately? Like, even as you, you hear me say this, what's happening in that space? I'm sure that listeners, um, you probably have an image of your head, of being in your head already, of being in a meeting with that person, with a leader or, or change consultant, otherwise that just comes with all their own change anxiety and nervous energy into a space. And what happens? What immediately happens? They get nervous as well. And it just breeds, <laughs> it breeds anxiety. Exactly. Anxiety breeds anxiety. And so again, to come back to that core concept in organization, use of self as an instrument of change says that no matter the change or transformation that I'm trying to influence in others, because I don't believe we can make people change. We can influence them by setting the conditions for change and transformation. But ultimately it starts with us and how each of us shows up. And just in the example of how we show up can inspire people to, to even ask the questions about, oh my goodness, how, how are you even able to be grounded in the midst of this? And, and, and that opens up possibilities for conversation and for disrupting uh, taken for granted ways of thinking and being because it highlights that you don't, don't have to just be the way everybody else is being or you just don't have to go with the the way things have always been you can choose because we always have choice and so that's a fundamental concept and one that I just encourage in this conversation is knowing that no matter how big and complicated these issues are it starts with how you choose to show up so use of self as an instrument and self broadly, sometimes it's community or whatever it is, right? Well, thank you so much, Yvonne, for your insight and knowledge on this. I think many of our listeners today are going to be very inspired by your words. 
And so we'd like to uh, close off the podcast today. And we, we always thank our team because uh, they help us make this happen. Uh, Andrew Skopenko is our technical guy and he's a wonderful asset to our team every time we do our podcast, as well as Elizabeth Weston, who uh, manages our social media publicity for our uh, podcast. So thank you again, Yvonne. We really enjoyed having you as our guest today. An absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you.